And now, rate that album, season three, with Paul Muadib and Joe Fremming, two guys who know stuff. Hi, and welcome to Rate That Album, the back and forth podcast uh, mu- music review thing that we do. That was an awesome intro uh, with myself, Paul Muadib, and my good friend, Joseph Fremming. Joe, how are you, buddy? I am doing fantastic, Paul. Fantastical. I'm really, really glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I am too. So um, before we begin, we like to do a little bit of banter. Um, we wanted to, we, this is the last episode, we kind of went on a real tirade, um, but we didn't get to talk about a subject that I wanted to talk with you about. And then also, you know, now we have the passing of Gilbert Godfrey. But before we get to Gilbert, um, we were going to talk, we were going to talk briefly about Bruce Willis. Ah, um, uh, yes. Yes. So what's your thought on the whole Bruce Willis thing? Uh, uh, I mean, it's, it's a, a form of dementia as I believe. And mm-hmm. it kind of sucks. I mean, let, let's make He made no secret. He was a giant asshole. Uh, if people want to know, like, how uh, terrible he could be, watch Kevin Smith's yes. uh, thing on work doing cop-out. Mm-hmm. But, here's the caveat, that does not make him a bad actor. And, no. And I for agree. me, like, uh, the first Die Hard, him Classic. is Butch in Pulp Fiction. And yeah, that is what floors me, because, like, I started thinking about it. He doesn't have a lot of lines in that. No, he doesn't have a lot of lines in in, in Pulp Fiction at all, actually. Yeah, and it's pretty strange because he's at that time he's known as a smart ass kind of you know comic relief character mm-hmm. actor, and he goes and does Pulp Fiction, and he's like very kind. He's you know he's not stoic. He's a little aloof. He's just, but yeah, it's just like he knocked that out of the park. Mm-hmm. Yes. So yeah, I and uh, we were talking about Red Letter Media, and they were kind of uh, saying there was rumors about his mental illness and what he was doing. He's making these like really crappy direct, uh, direct video or direct red box, I guess. Yep. You know, yep. just so he can have like a, a cushion for himself and his family. So that makes more sense now why he was doing these like movies that really made zero sense. Why somebody like him would be doing them. Yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, growing up, my mom loved Moonlighting. So it, was a, it was a great show. It, I would watch it with her. It was a really good show, and um, you know, that was my first, you know, into um, Bruce Willis, and then you know, obviously Die Hard. You know, we watched that because my mom loved Moonlighting, and then you know, like to have him go from Moonlighting into Die Hard was like a very odd thing. But yeah, you talk about the comic relief. Like, remember, he did the voice, and look who's talking. Um, and then, you know, he had a few things and then Hudson Hawk, which is kind of a comedy type of thing, dark comedy, uh, last boy scout, um, death becomes her remember. Mm -hmm. And he was, uh, had a brief, uh, bit part, uh, you know, like a cameo and loaded weapon. And then it was Pulp Fiction. And I think that really changed things. I mean, you know, Lost Mon- 12 Monkeys is one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, what, uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that was like, that's, Jerry Gilliam to me is fucking way, should be way more uh, respected. Yeah. 
a, a buddy of mine, you know, he, I got I give him, I shouldn't say buddy, a guy that we went to high school with, I haven't talked to him in many, many years. I give him, I don't give him credit for a lot of things, but I will give him credit for this one, was that he was into Brazil and Terry Gilliam before I think most of us were. Um, he would rave about Brazil, and I watched, and I was like, I didn't get it at the time. I think I was too young, but he, at our age, like, understood it, and I was like, well, that's that's kind of nuts when you think about it. Um, fuck. I saw that when I was... I want to say uh, junior in high school. Yeah, I, junior, sophomore, or junior. That like I couldn't wrap my head around it at the time. Yeah, I got like some of the themes and I saw like what was going on, but it's just it was like you know even for me then it was just it was like a lot to take in. Yeah, and, and now and this this kid was yeah, into it when and I remember he rented it when I had a sleepover at his house when we were in middle school. And he was raving about this movie, dude. So, I mean, credit credit is where credit credits due. Um, but yeah, and also, you know, um, I will admit, um, Bruce Willis also um, is one of the was one of the the major influences for me getting into my celebrities that do music, like actors that do music <laughs> thing. Um, I own uh, I, I own on CD somewhere um, Return of Bruno. Um, so it was a huge album too when it came out. Like it, people like think it's like a novelty. It wasn't. It was pretty popular. It was the number one selling Motown album in a long time. Mm-hmm. People people don't. Yeah, it's a joke now, but no, it was a big deal, um, huge deal. Um, and that might be something that 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 we do at some point. I'm not ready to do it right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But no, that came out in 1987 when he was still kind of doing moonlighting and things like that. And um, it peaked at um, it peaked at number four in the UK, number 14 on the um, uh, billboards. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the only uh, uh, Motown album that that hit where a white white person had done Motown and gotten to the to the level where it got to. Um, I remember reading that somewhere. Um, and just because, you know, I mean, it's just what, it, I mean, it's, I just think that's an interesting uh, note in history. Not that it's like, oh, the white, white guy's better, you know, better. No, not at all. It didn't peak anywhere near where some of the other stuff went. But he was the only one... Um, uh, of the Motown, and he was, you know, so give it credit is where credit due. I mean, Under the Boardwalk was huge, huge at the time. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and you know, respect yourself. Under the Boardwalk, there was Secret Agent. Man. Yeah. that album that album joe so yeah um and, and you know and getting back full circle to, to um kevin smith kevin smith has actually like said oh man i i drop everything like regardless of all the problems i had with bruce willis he was still a hero of mine he's reached out to have amends with him he put out a public apology about the stuff about cop out and everything like that which just says again a lot about Will Smith, I mean, Kevin Smith is a human being. <laughs> I was going to say, dude. <laughs> no. Will Smith going smack him, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm still getting on in, in arguments with people about that. It's so dumb. But, yeah, no, I, I think, you know, for whatever it is, yes, he has his faults. 
But the Bruce under- Willis out your fucking mouth. Bruce Willis out your fucking mouth. But um, regardless of you know everything like that, this is a guy that had uh, both a musical um, uh, uh, influence chances, and you know a lot of yeah, he kind of became a punching bag, and I, a lot of it was because directors didn't want to work with him anymore mm-hmm. a lot of the time. But he was talented. He is talented. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to say was. He's still alive. But He's still alive. Absolutely. You, and I just saw actually today. Have you seen the Between Two Ferns with him? No, I haven't. Alfinakis. You know, Zach Alfinakis has that little uh, Funny or Die video where he interviews people. Yep. And he just I, likes to, yeah. So he did one with Bruce Willis. I had no idea. And it's just, it's, it's good. It's like, it shows like even Bruce Willis can be in on the joke. You know? Oh, that, that's awesome! I, yeah. I will have to check that out when we're done here. And yeah, just like he gets like uh, he's just like you know he doesn't say anything, and then all of a sudden he's like, you know, man, the eighties. Then he gets like this like thousand yard stare. He's like, you know, one minute you're on top of the world getting blown up Sunset Boulevard. Next thing you know, you're just in a room with your cousins, and he just stares. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like it's fucking great. So and I will say, um, I um, haven't seen all the the straight to uh, streaming or Redbox Bruce Willis movies. I, no, I, I will. I, bother. I there's like there's only so much bad I can watch. See, and I'm all about the bad, right? And this is why I wasn't upset about this because I knew this was going to be something that down the road I was going to look back on these movies that he was doing and you know. It really enjoyed them for being what they are, um, which is terrible movies. But I, you know, I was when they did the announcement of him stepping down, uh, you know, and pulling back from acting because of because of this. I went on his IMDb, and sure enough, he was supposed to do eleven movies this year, and it's not going to happen. And only the ones that were in post production are coming out. Like he is done, done, done. Everything's over, and I wonder how far along. It is, and that's really depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they just pulled the plug, I'm sure the news was he has to stop now. Mm-hmm. I think that's exactly what And in is. fact, given, like, you know, how a lot of people are, like, actors and people, in, I'm sure the, the plug was, should have been pulled long before. Yes. And it was probably like, no, you have to do it, like, last year. He's got to stop, <laughs> so... Yes. And then they probably did as much as he could, and I'm sure something. But, you know, again, like, my favorite movie, well, one of my favorite movies of all time, and, like, his performance is, like, Pulp Fiction, man, just, we cool, far from fucking cool. I, I love <laughs> that, that movie. Scene. I love <laughs> that, that movie. That whole fight with him and Marsalis Wallace. <laughs> it's genius. Oh, it's genius. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I remember my, when Pulp Fiction came out, my mom was like, I'm never going to watch this. You know, this is, this is whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's just fucking awful. It's, it's whatever, you know? And like, it's one of those things where I'm like, God, I wish you would have watched it because it's fucking amazing. (laughs) Every movie from that point on until probably like the early 2000s, all independent filmmakers were trying to make their Pulp Fiction. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The only one who came close, I think, was Guy Ritchie with uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Very close. Very, Very close. close with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now let's get to Gilbert. 
Now let's get to Gilbert. Now, now that hit me hard because that I hit me seen hard Gilbert as well. Godfrey in person. Oh, you have. I was at the first uh, Wizard World Comic Con in Minneapolis, and I was there with my ex-wife and her and her sister and the people there with wanted to get photos with the celebrities. And I saw on the thing, it's like, oh crap, Gilbert Godfrey's like in the basement doing like a Q and A. Like, like anybody want to come? And they're like, no, no, no. I'm like, all right. And I went down there. It was the most hilarious Q and A. Like this lady got mad because he was like, you know, he's going blue. He's Gilbert Godfrey's yep. Canadian, and she's like, she brought her kid there because like he was the voice of the the bird in Aladdin. Oh no! <laughs> and she's like, if you don't. Uh, can you please stop swearing? Otherwise, I'm going to have to leave. And he wouldn't. And after she said that to him, he would not let up on F-bombs until she left. <laughs> <laughs> like she just painted a giant target on herself. And so he just went off and off. And it was hands on. It was basically, you know, it was almost like an interactive stand-up set because people would ask him questions and he'd just start riffing. Oh, God, he's so good. Yeah, I mean, I first learned of Gilbert uh, from USA Up All Night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah. Him and him and Rhonda Shear hosting USA Up All Night, which I am so sad. Like, they haven't, like, they brought back uh, Joe Bob Briggs. I would love for them to bring back Up All Night. Um, up that's all night, I, like, <laughs> where your kids like us were hoping to, like, because they would show, like, those porky ripoffs and horror movies. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It was basically like you're just kind of hoping like one nip slip would go through the sensor. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It was those, I mean, it was those kind of movies where like when you're like nine or ten. All right. All right. So fair warning here. We're going to get into something here. So I'm just warning the audience, you know, people that are listening. Um, so I saw Porky's for the first time on USA Up All Night. Okay. <laughs> was Gilbert hosting? I can't remember if it was Gilbert or if it was Rana. I don't remember which. Um but I fell in love with this movie. And, you know, us being, I mean, I'm young, young. I got to be, I, I maybe am at most 10. Um, and so, you know, and us being, uh, I think when you're a kid, you don't, you think that you're experiencing everything for the first time. Like no one knows anything about it. Right. So here's this movie Porky's, which is like super famous. I'm seeing it for the first time. So I think nobody knows anything about it. Right. And so I'm going up to my parents and telling them about Porky's. <laughs> <laughs> which is like from their generation. Like they were going to see that in high school. <laughs> it, yes. And it gets to the infamous uh, bathroom scene. And, on the USA Up All Night version and the TV version, they changed it to where Tommy sticks his tongue in the oh, in the hole versus doesn't even really make any sense. <laughs> right, right. But this is what they do, and for whatever reason, I found this to be the funniest thing ever. So I am explaining this scene to my parents where he's sticking his tongue <laughs> through this hole, and I remember my dad 
dying as I'm explaining them the story. <laughs> and, and it took me years to realize that he was laughing at the situation because he knew what was really going on. And here I am explaining to him this TV, you know, very yeah. much like the forest and the, you know, when you find a stranger in the Alps type of situation. <laughs> uh, like you're, pro- you're, and you're too young for him to actually explain what was originally in the scene. Yes. It was just like, it was like a glory hole situation. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I would ask, uh, you know, explaining to your, like, nine or ten-year-old son with a glory hole is, that's just, that might be a little bit much. <laughs> I think it was a step too far, even for my old man. So, that's <laughs> when I first uh, really found Gilbert, and then um, E! Entertainment, back when E! was good, they had the Howard Stern show on, remember? Yeah, yeah. And Gilbert was on there quite a bit. And yeah. so I kind of, you know, found him through that. And then obviously when he found his resurgence with the roasts and things like that. Um, <laughs> but I they still... say that Bob Sager raped and killed a 15-year-old girl. <laughs> Rosilla! <laughs> you in the... Oh, his Hollywood Squares? You oh my fool! God. <laughs> he gives this bullshit answer. <laughs> oh yeah, Dude, he was... even Problem Child. He was great in Problem Child. Like that was another movie of him I loved. And what was the movie where he was a fake Abraham Lincoln? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then I shared it. I think you saw uh, commented, but like when he did, uh, <laughs> funnier died the. Gilbert Godfrey reading Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> he did Fifty Shades of Grey, which is genius. That's a funnier die. Well, then, yeah, and all the like the women listening to it just have this disgusted look on their face. <laughs> At the very end, this girl's like, "This is so hot." Yeah. <laughs> oh. And he did the same thing. Not a funnier die, but he was brought on during COVID. Um, this guy when 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 WAP came out. And oh, there's God. a video of him, Gilbert Godfrey, reading the lyrics to WAP. <laughs> yeah, he was so, yeah, he was hilarious. There's, I don't know if you, if you ever get a chance, watch the documentary. Uh, I did. I yeah, love the documentary. really good, yeah. So good. And you realize just what a sweetheart the guy was. Yeah, yeah. And, like, how much he loves his fam- loved his family. And he was just kind of, like, just he was pretty low-key off, yeah. the, off the stage, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it was just, it was a character the whole time. Like, he was the most successful Andrew Dice Clay, is really what he was. I was um, reading somebody, like, you know, like a celebrity encounter, you know, so after he died, somebody was like, yeah, I ran into him <laughs> at a grocery store in New York, and I was like, oh, Gilbert Godfrey, meeting you, this is the greatest day of my life, and Gilbert responded, you've had a really shit life. <laughs> that is fantastic and there's another i'll get it to you there's another video of these guys on youtube where they would try and get celebrities on cameo to say ridiculous things and and every time they'd get one where a celebrity wouldn't do it they'd send it to gilbert Of course, Gilbert's going to do it. <laughs> and that's what it's like. like, Gilbert's going to say anything. So there's one where they had to have Draco Malfoy read this thing about how, you know, and he's like, uh-uh, they, you know, they got a letter back saying it's not going to happen. They're like, but we sent it to Gilbert, so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that was, um, 
the, the, the Gilbert one was a tough one for me. Yeah. I'm still, that's, I'm probably going to be reeling on that one for about another week or two. Yeah. That's yeah. Uh, Gilbert and, uh, yeah, last year with Norm McDonald, that one hit me pretty hard too. So, like those, And then, of course, you know, Saget. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. And I, Louis Anderson are from our home state. From our home state. I actually posted a picture on Facebook. I made a meme of it just for a nice one where it just says RIP. But yeah. there's a photo online of Bob Saget, Louis Anderson, and Gilbert Godfrey all taking a selfie together. Yeah. And I think that was like, if I'm not mistaken, like not too long before they all died when they yeah. took the photo. Yeah, like, looking at that photo, it's like, oh, my God, you know, and I think about these are people that were, you know, I mean, and I do remember seeing Gilbert stand up, you know, on Comedy Central before, you know, and and things like that, you know, back before he was the roaster guy, you know, and, um, yeah, no, this one was, this one, that was a real tough one for me. So Yeah, yeah, it was even, yeah, my my ex-wife even texted me because, like, she remembered that. I was the only one who actually went and saw Gilbert Godfrey, and like, and like seriously, I came out of there. I was just like in tears, laughing so hard. And they're like, "How was it? Pretty lame." I was like, "Fuck, that was the greatest thing I've ever seen." All day. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely like Comic Con's really cool, but that was probably the greatest thing I've seen at a con. That's was Gilbert cool. Godfrey doing a Q and A and insulting a woman until she left with her kid. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat any of the jokes, but if you haven't seen his um, Friars roast of uh, George Takai, it is off the fucking rails. Oh, God. It is off the rails. <laughs> like, like, you could not get away with that, uh, what he did there. And everyone in the room is loving it. It's fantastic. So that's one you should check out, too. But, Joe, we're here to talk about other things. Besides comedy albums and and Bruce Willis albums today, we're going to talk about they might be giants, Joe. Who? They might be giants. Who? They might be giants. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so, um, yeah, we decided to do they might be giants flood. Uh, the nineteen ninety really breakthrough album. For the band, they might be giants. Um, how familiar are you with 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 the uh, TMBG, as the kids call them? I've I've known that, about them forever. I saw that. I remember seeing them on Tiny Tunes when they Tiny Tunes would do the did a a thing where they air they did cartoons with these songs from this album. Yep. So yep. like they're definitely like Particle Man and all that. So yeah, Particle I can, Man and then over the years, you know, this is just one of those staples that's in my my listening rotations. So so the same friend of mine that was really into, or the same guy we went to high school with that was really into Brazil, um, had a Sega CD uh, system, which not many people had. Um, actually, I ended up getting one after he got his, <laughs> and, um, but it came with this demo disc. And on the demo disc, there are these tracks of music. And on there was Corn's Blind and Mammals by They Might Be Giants. Well, of course, and, that's a, quite the same vein of music. So. Same vein of music, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so that was like my, what I thought was my first, you know, kind of like thing into them. 
But what I realized was, as I was thinking about listening to this album, no, in 1990, when this album dropped, my sister went out and bought the this album from the Electric Fetus uh, and had it on tape and then later got it on CD when CDs were released. And then I had it on CD. So, yeah, this, this you know, I've known about They Might Be Giants. They Might Be Giants really is two guys. Yeah. It's John Flansburg and John Linnell. Um, outside of that, they've had like a rotating uh, members of backup uh, yeah. musicians. But they're the principals. It's it's like with Nine Inch Nails. It's like there's always the backup people, but at the heart, it's just Trent Reznor, you know? Yes, yes. It's the same with They Might Be Giants. It's, it's just these guys and then whoever they have they happen to be recording with for albums and touring. Yep. Yep, and you know, and we'll bring up because there's a song where they bring up their two other bands that they were associated with, which was was the Young Fresh Fellows and Mike Doty, <laughs> which they bring up in a song um, on this album. But yeah, no, after this, like un- unfairly, fairly, maybe um, they might be giants, and I I think it was a good idea, um, you know, doing the crossover with Tiny Tunes. But I think that unfairly put them in this position of they were a kids band. And I think that kind of held them back. And I just learned recently, um, interestingly enough, uh, prior to this podcast, the leads, the the song for Pee Wee's Playhouse was performed and written by none other than Cindy Lauper. But Cindy Lauper was worried that she would get, it would hurt her album sales and she'd get brought in as a kid you know, like, oh, she's making kids stuff because she did Goonies, and now she's doing um, Pee Wee. So she performed it under a fake name of Ellen Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, there's that thing. And, and then again, they they've also of, put out children's albums, so it's just, yeah. It, that came later. I, that, I think they Still, it's, it. it's, you know, it's... You could uh, categorize this band and their music is you know not the edgy grunge you know what i no. mean like it's it's, it's got rock. a sense of humor and it's got an edge but it's a different kind of one so <clears throat> i i call it geek rock you know geek rock yeah yeah it's, geek rock yeah. experimental rock um <clears throat> yeah it's kind of like you know it's like a it's like a debo type of situation very geek much a debo thing rock, yeah and I and you know and again they started doing children's stuff and more things like that come 2004. I think they just started to embrace it is really what it was. And again, if Disney's going to give you money to write uh, for you know the theme song for Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and give you that Disney money, you're not going to say no. No. And let's just face it; like it's a style of music that uh, it's. Uh, I could not listen to. They might be giants for hours on end. No. <laughs> No, you know, it's like, not. you know, it, the flood is great. And then I like some of their other stuff, but then it just, it kind of gets exhausting. <laughs> yeah. I guess we'll get into that now. Cause I was going to talk about later. Yeah. My two albums that I really enjoy from them are flood. And then the follow-up um, Apollo 18, which mm-hmm. I feel like has a lot of like songs that were left off of flood and still kind of have that flood feel. And then after that, like I didn't get into John Henry, uh, though I tried Factory Showroom. I didn't really care for, it. and by the time of Long Tall Weekend, I had already given up on They Might Be Giants. Yeah. 
um, as a thing. Yeah, I just, you know, occasionally hear, like, even the, um, uh, the Don't Let It Start for um, Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. I'm sick, I'm sick of that song. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sick of that song. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Flood. Joe, when's the first time you heard Flood? Uh, just actually listen to the album, album itself. Yeah. Oh, probably like late nineties. Okay. Like I was like, I knew who they were, and I knew you know obviously the stuff from Tiny Tunes, but it just wasn't. Um, they weren't a band on my radar until probably ninety nine, where I actually sat down and listened to this album. So, got it. All right. Well, let's let's go through Flood track by track here. Um, and we'll just kind of give our thoughts on this. Um, let me just pull up the track listing because if I was professional, I would have done that right now, but I'm a guy <laughs> working out of his, you know, basically his fucking home computer in a fucking living room. So I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so first one is, um, uh, the theme, the 20, the 27 second theme which is really funny because like, it's, it's so pompous oh yeah <laughs> so pompous and then we get to birdhouse in your soul which is I, a fantastic song i love this song i've done it I for karaoke it i've done it for uh, karaoke before um this is just this album, like one of the things that I think really frustrates me with 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 uh, TMBG, they it takes so... you longer to do the the acronym. Just say they might be giants. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. I'm just I'm trying to I'm trying to hang with the kids, Joe. Um, what do you do, fellow young people? <laughs> yeah, you do, you. You're Come Steve Buscemi. <laughs> <laughs> Your music band shirt. <laughs> I like Joy Division. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, that Morrissey, am I right, kids? Um, so they might be giants. Um, they have such a amazing grasp on music just as a whole. Like, just the production, the sounds, like, there's just such a mastery to what they do, in my mind. You and I have talked about there isn't really a perfect album, and we've talked about it over the, you know, kind of like that. But if there was, like, the prototype perfect album, to me, this is it. This album is damn near perfect. And it's just all the different styles and notes, and just, you know, going in, starting with... um uh, birdhouse in your soul is awesome is absolutely awesome okay. um and I then argue, though, it's it's top heavy like we've discussed it, it takes a leg towards the second half of the album for me at least i'm not gonna disagree with you we are definitely gonna get there <laughs> uh, <laughs> definitely gonna get there but on a general whole, uh, we'll talk about that. So next is Lucky Ball and Chain. <laughs> oh, this is like a classic take on an old uh, kind of a country song, but kind of <laughs> kind of flipped a bit. Financially, <laughs> uh, we never had a home, but this remote apartment. <laughs> She's five foot tall and sick of me. You know my rambling. <laughs> Confidentially, she never called me baby doll. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then, uh, obviously, Istanbul, not uh, Constantinople. It's a cl- it's a classic. That's I mean, classic. And I think this is probably, like, you know, because this was used in the Tiny Tunes thing. I think this was like the first time, you know, for me, probably hearing a song with like 
Aramaic, uh, yes, kind of vibes. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, I mean, I was, I was unsheltered, but I had like, you know, fucking tiny tunes. I was like, what, ten, eleven? Like I was, you know, I wasn't sitting around listening to world music. No, no, and I, and I would agree with you. Like this was one of the first things that in, like albums that introduced me to world music, as you said. Yeah. And I actually really got into it. Like afterwards, I was looking for songs and things that had this kind of sound to it because it was like nothing I've heard before. Uh, and it's also a cover. <laughs> yeah, which is so weird, right? Yeah. Um, next, we get dead. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love this song. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I returned a bag of groceries. You know. <laughs> like when I was younger, like I didn't quite understand at first. Like I returned, so I, I like in my head, I, I still have the image of a guy like trying to return a bag of groceries, and I'm like, how do you return a bag? Or how's the whole bag on an expiration date? Like, there's so many things logistically about the song that like I couldn't wrap my head around. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's you know, it's you know, you're not really thinking of like that kind of concept when you're a little kid. No. <laughs> you no. know, it's they're like one well, the thing about they might be giants is they're one of those bands that'll they hide dark themes through like uh really syrupy poppy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, because one of my favorite songs of theirs is Kiss Me Son of God. Yes. <laughs> I just fucking love Oh my <laughs> it's god. It's like a stuffbeat song about <laughs> you know uh, hero worship of like a false false god yes no it's it's a, it's a dark song it's a dark song absolutely <laughs> i look like jesus so they say <laughs> yeah no it's it's brilliant which sliding into the next song your racist friend yeah for this, me, was, this song like so when i was like 19 and i heard this song you know 18 19 i was like yeah i feel like this whenever i'm at a party uh-huh. You go to a party, and there's always some jag off going off. And you know what? I don't go to parties anymore, but sometimes I go to bars, and it's the same goddamn same bucket thing. Yeah, so, and especially in our hometown, man. Oh my god! Yeah, there's yeah. I I I don't go to actually even 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 when we were in our twenties, I wouldn't go to a lot of bars. I went to the Holiday Inn. <laughs> yeah, close to legends. <laughs> yeah, legends. That's where I would go with legends because no one else went there. <laughs> yeah. I could drink and not have to deal with the fuckery. Yeah, that's why me and my friend we would go to uh, Landmark, which was kind of like the CD gay bar. Yep, Landmark, another great place to go where you didn't have to <laughs> deal with the fuckery. Like butter for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> like they never cleaned those. <laughs> clean those hoses man it was gross no no but it was a good bar to get away from things yeah now i mean i let's there's a couple of bars in town i think you know the one specifically i'm thinking of where it should just be burned down to the ground and just every time i hear people go there i go you're fucking racist well at least the other one actually burned to the ground (laughs) the other one did burn to the ground that one was where all the crazy people hung out with and that's transients and shit yeah no that one burned down too um (laughs) What's that? <laughs> that one deserved it. I was I did not shed a tear when that bar burned no. to the ground. God no. God no, I didn't. I went I went especially when I heard it burn down, I went, Yeah, that was gonna happen. <laughs> yeah, it was about to, it was gonna happen eventually at some point. So but yeah, also with this song too, you know, again, I was ten years old, my sister bought it the year it came out, and this was the first time I really 
was able to, I mean, because it's pretty, like, my sister was in the Beatles and things like that. Like I said, I got a lot of my music from her. She was four years older than me. And, um, but this was the first song that I really heard of that was, like, political. And also, again, opened my eyes of, whoa, music can say things, like, can, you know, rather than just flowery lyrics and poetry, like, it can say things. So, uh, yeah, I absolutely love this song. Um, next, Particle Man, again, Tiny Toons classic. classic. Yeah, that's classic. a classic. Of we, we course, were... I'll never forget the cartoon <laughs> of, like, the wrestling ring. <laughs> no, no, the, the ginger. <laughs> Tiny Toons, yeah. It's <laughs> Beating up Plucky. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and we went to school with a guy whose nickname was Triangle Man, so I'll <laughs> never forget that either. <laughs> um, next is Twisting. Um, you know, I mean, this is the song that I was talking about where they where they very, very self-referentially, almost Tenacious D-like, uh, before Tenacious, Tenacious D was even a thing, referenced themselves. She doesn't want your young, fresh fellows tape back. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really clever because that's one of the things I was like, who's who's young fresh fellows, you know? Oh, it's them, fake fuckers. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, obviously if we're going off of sides. This you know we're not, but this the end of the end of the A side was we want to rock, which is fucking genius. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah, this album just it's fucking smart. <laughs> it's smart. It's smart. Prosthetic foreheads on their real heads. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Um, and next is someone keeps moving my chair, um, which is all right. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't. This is like, the, again, this is where the album starts dipping for me. Mm-hmm. I will give you that. It's all right. It's, I mean, the lyrics again, you know, Mr. Horrible and all these things. And um, it's interesting. Um, Hearing Aid, I personally love this song. I don't, um, this is where the album dies for me. Okay. Okay. It's like, it just like, it goes, it has a momentum and then it just nose dives here. Like I, I just, it just, for me, I mean, it, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if this was like a B side or something, it just, it just kills the flow of the album for me. I will give, I, so it keeps it in that beginning, right? Because like, even when I was listening to it, you know, for, even though I've heard this album a million times, I'm still going to listen to it, you know, they have it fresh in my head for the um, podcast, but my youngest child was in the car with me and I'm playing that and that, you know, that the, the opening kind of trumpet or clarinet sound um, is still has that vibe and she was in there dancing, right? She's like going back and forth, but then it cuts down to frosty the soup and it takes that weird melodic turn it's like, yeah it feels like a lounge song mm-hmm. which you know i obviously that's kind of what they're going for it feels like a lounge lizard type of song yes like an old uh, throwback to like rat pack or something like that because like they're all over with the genres but they, they still make it their own which we talked about with uh, the black lips you know yep it still sounds like them even though it's they're all over with a genre. Yes. Which not a lot of bands can do. No, no. And, you know, so, and then, yeah, and the one thing I will say that I didn't like about it, listening to it again with the album, was at the end of the song, they kind of go, like, with this weird, like, avant-garde, uh, you know, like a Lou Reed style where the guitar is just kind of, and it doesn't fit the song itself. Yeah. And that's kind of weird. 
and then it jumps in the minimum wage. Which I love. This kind of rake, this jump starts the album. Yeah. It just really gets me back in. Minimum wage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically right. Like, like if you listen to this and you've seen the Blues Brothers, you kind of see what they're going with here. <laughs> like when they start singing Rawhide in that, that hillbilly bar. Yes. <laughs> it's so genius. It's such a great song. And then Letterbox. And I'm, I was in the car and I was with my oldest and I was singing along with these songs because I know them. And my daughter looks over at me during Letterbox and goes, Dad, I didn't know you could rap. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's not. Well, I guess, guess maybe it is, honey. Yeah, I mean, she's like, he's going really fast. And I'm like. Okay, yeah, I can kind of see where you're coming from. Um, I do like Letterbox. It's such a yeah. weird song. Yeah, it's a weird song, but it goes into like probably one of my favorite songs at the album. Probably my all, my all is Whistling in the Dark. It's probably my it's. I think it's my favorite song on the album. So ridiculous. I, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it just it's one of those songs that just hits me. Like I don't know why. It's like it's just. I think like. Songs like maybe minor keys or something like just appeal to me, but it's just like whistling in the dark, <laughs> whistling in the dark. <laughs> yeah, so whistling, I, I whistling, 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 dark, 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 dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's always been like this. It's been it's always been a favorite of mine. It's like if I had a top two of this album, it'd probably be. Well, if I did three, my top. <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard. But if I had to nail it down to three songs. For, that would, it would be Whistling in the Dark, Birdhouse in Your Soul, and Lucky Ball and Chain. Yeah, I, it's, it's one of those albums where it's tough to sit there and even pick like a top three, right? Because yeah. there's just so many strong, like, good songs. Yeah, and then you're like, oh shit, Particle Man and your racist friend. Fucking twist. God damn it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love, I personally, like, I, I would put We Want to Rock on one of my top three for the album <laughs> just because it's so fucking ridiculous. But it's the same thing with Whistling in the Dark as well. I mean, uh, you know, uh, uh, by hitting with this rock, he said, though I'm not unkind, I turn to hit my hand on the jail revolt of here today. It's like, what the fuck are you saying about me? Yeah, it's, it's great, man. I, I fucking love, I just love how ridiculous it is. Yes. So next we get the hot shot. Now, I'm not a big fan of hot shot. I'm not uh, either. It's not the worst, but it's uh, but I will say the one thing that I do that make I still giggle during it because I do picture like this fucking French poodle like fucking up this house and never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> so there is that visual to it to me that I'm like, okay, I, I kind of laugh at it, but I just the style isn't my thing. Yeah. Um, women and men, uh, not a fan. Oh yeah, that's all right for me. It's 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 got it's, an earworm element that. I mean, it just gets stuck in you. So I'll give it kudos for that. Again, it's not my favorite, but it, I like it better than hearing aid. That's for sure. Fair, well, fair enough. And, and the one thing I will say that I, I, again, why I feel like Apollo 18 was kind of like the, the B sides of flood. So what is, you're saying is that album is the magical mystery tour to this Sergeant Pepper. Pretty much, yes, hundred percent. I would definitely, definitely say that. Although I think I have maybe stronger songs than Magical Mystery Tour. Although I love Magical Mystery Tour. Magical, um, I like. Here's my hot take. I like Magical Mystery Tour better than Sergeant Pepper. 
Um, Blue Jay Way is probably one of my favorite Beatles songs of all time, and no one knows it. <laughs> Your mother should know as a mother like McCartney had some really weird songs on that that I really like. So. Yes, your mother should know. God, that's such a great song. Um, real quick, speaking of the Beatles, I have on vinyl um, the History of Rock and Roll Part Two, um, which for a long time was the only um, album that had Hey Bulldog. <laughs> Because um, I don't think Hey Bulldog was ever released on an American release. Yeah, well, it was on the Sergeant Pe- uh, not that the Yellow Submarine soundtrack. Was it? Oh, it was on the soundtrack, but it wasn't yeah. on the actual. There was, it was yeah, it was just like it, the the Yellow Submarine soundtrack had songs that were just never. Yep. Released on a fit, so it was only a Northern song, which is really good. Hey Great Bulldog, uh, all together now. Yep. I, I think there's another Harrison song on that too, but I could be wrong. I think you're right. I, I do. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right. Yeah, I forgot about the. But I, I say when I think of Yellow Submarine, I forget about the soundtrack. Because yeah, um, uh, it really because it's like one side's uh, Beatles songs and the rest is like George Martin score. Oh, interesting. I don't remember that. Yeah, it's so. Uh, yeah, it's Yellow Submarine. Other uh, only a Northern song, which is one. Of, it's one of the most tripped out. Uh, I. I love that song. Harrison songs all together now, which is like McCartney's like a children's song. Hey, yep. Bulldog, which has probably the greatest riff the Beatles ever did. So good. It's all too much. Harrison song, and then all you need is love, and then the rest is uh, George Martin's score. So, Got it. Okay. So it's okay. like it wasn't really technically an album. Like it was released as an album, but it's really. It, it was its own thing, kind of like Sergeant, kind of like uh, uh, Sergeant Pepper Lonely Hearts Club sound. Uh, sound. Wait a minute! <laughs> no, no, no! Flashbacks horrible. You know, uh, you know. In years from now, when people think of Sergeant Pepper, they're going to think of the Bee Gees. <laughs> Those pink fuckers. Those of us that saw it do, but not in the way I think that Robin thought we were going to. Um, but back to what I was saying was um, why I feel like Apollo eighteen. Women and Men sounds like it should have been on Apollo 18 to me and not this album. And I think that's where my disconnect with it comes from. Um, I think it's fine. But again, in terms of the album itself, I, I think it's kind of just like Hearing Aid. It's an outlier. Yeah. Um, next is to remind everybody, like each of these songs are barely three minutes. <laughs> a short album. It's a short album. Yeah, it's 19 songs, right? Coming in at 43 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not, they're not long songs at all. Uh, I think the longest song on the album's three minutes and three and a half minutes. Yeah, it's hearing aid. Yeah, it's so hearing too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, listening to Dark's only one second shorter. Um, <laughs> um, next is Sapphire Bullets of Pure Love. I hated this song as a kid. And I don't know why, because I enjoy it now. It's, it's called Growing Up, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Learn. <laughs> I, I think it was the notes. I think, once again, it's not like anything that I had heard before. And unlike Istanbul, for whatever reason, those notes or those chords didn't really... I don't know what it did with me, but yeah, it just, uh, for whatever reason, I remember hating this song, and then when I'm listening to it for this for this album, uh, for this review, I'm like, why did I hate this song? Like, I don't remember why I hated it. So, yeah. that, that's weird. I like it. 
Yeah, it's, it's again for a minute thirty six. I shouldn't hate anything for, for a minute thirty six. <laughs> well, come on now, we <laughs> we reviewed a bunch of albums that you know. Fair enough. Even if they were at a minute thirty six, I would still hate it. <laughs> Fair enough. There, that that that's a valid point. Right? <laughs> I don't think the timing issue of the tracks was a, the problem with saying anger ball. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? I, I I think I sent you that link where it's um, Metallica um, and Justice for All, but with the yeah, uh, with the Saint Anger snare, the snare drum. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oh God! I, I tried. I tried to listen to the whole thing. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna try this. Yeah, they've done. There's it. like, there's a lot of that out there because you know people just with Pro Tools will just put that snare in all these classic Metallica songs. So fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to one with that fucking drum, and I'm like, oh my god, like this would have been the worst. Uh, like, this album would have been laughed out of the fucking store. Jesus. They would have had, it would also would have been the first uh, album, it would have been the second album ever to get returned platinum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and next we get their, their self titled song, They Might Be Giants. Yeah, I, I like this. Uh, there's something to be said about bands who have a song named after the name of the band. Motorhead did it. Yep, Motorhead did it. Um, didn't Badfinger have an album called Badfinger with a song called Badfinger? They might have. I think the Ramones had a song called Ramones. Yeah. No, uh, Ramones covered the song Ramones by Motorhead. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Motorhead's yes. great. By the way, let's... Motorhead's amazing. Um, I, I was just watching. Um, uh, was um, Return to Nukem High, the the newest because uh, new, I did end up getting that uh, trauma subscription. And mm-hmm. Lemmy is president in that movie. Lemmy should still be president. <laughs> Lemmy, Lemmy is president in that movie. It's fucking ridiculous. Um, and, and then we got Road Movie to Berlin, which. For, and I'm sure it's because it's got the word road in it, but it reminds me of Road to Nowhere by Talking Heads. Yeah. It's also a good way to end the album. Great way to end the album. Yeah. Yeah, um, I like it. I like it. Again, like this album really only has like two songs I'm not super fan of. That you know, again, going, there's no such thing as the perfect album for me. So no, no, and again, for me, this is the prototype for it. Like, this is one of the things that you do to get to that perfect album. I think they were goddamn close, and um, if you I, killed those two songs. It probably would have been a perfect yeah, album. I, you know what? I I would I will agree with you. I will agree with you. Um, hundred percent on that. I really do. I think. But at that point, would it have been an album or an EP? Because it's already so fucking short. All those are. Right? <laughs> Well, I mean, Weezer's released half-hour albums that are called albums, so I think it would most definitely be considered an album. Yeah, but, you know... Remember, Green Album clocks in at, like, what, 26 minutes? <laughs> Fucking Christ, that's not an album, that's an EP. What a bunch of assholes. <laughs> but but you could charge more if you call it an album. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Back when people bought that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, um, overall, this album got amazingly positive reviews. Um, it was four stars, four and a half stars. You it's know. a stone-cold classic, Paul. <laughs> it just... is. 
Like, you really played the Stone Cold Classic thing, you know. There, there's no, uh, not a whole lot of, uh, you know, doubters that this album isn't great. <laughs> I'm sure there's one guy out there, probably some asshole at Pitchfork. Um, well, gave this album a six point three. Actually, Rolling Stone's David Brown found the album to be unremarkable overall, criticized the the band's novelty, and found it to be wearing thin as the album progressed. Um, yeah, so, Rolling Stones, if it's not Springsteen or U two or the well, Rolling Stones or a Beatles, like they're just not going <clears> to <throat> get great reviews. <laughs> Well, and and they went back later because in the original Rolling Stone review was given two stars. It was the lowest review um, out there. It was given two stars. However, in two thousand nine, revisiting Flood for its twentieth anniversary, they called it iconic and revolutionized college radio. Which that's what we that's what we in the business call rewriting history. <laughs> you would know you're in the business, sir. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's um, a, that's that's saving face, Paul. <laughs> so, yeah, and and I will say it did change the rock radio um, perception. Um, I think this a uh, really album really influenced a lot of the geek rock, the college rock, and yeah. saw where people could go musically and production wise. I mean, again, this was their second album, and <clears throat> um, it was. Um, it, I mean, production-wise, you would not know that. No. You know, no. So, um, yeah. I mean, they put out a few things here and there, but, like, there was B-sides and things like that. Like, they put an album, like, in 1986. But Flawed was, like, their big second album. Um, so, Joe, would you recommend They Might Be Giants Flawed? Oh, yeah. It's a great album. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, yeah, this was this was the final pick of my three like albums that I love that I wanted to do, given the last where we were before. <laughs> it's those, kind of, the dark times. The dark times before we go back into the dark times. Um, <laughs> but these were just things I was like, you know what? We need to. We needed something where we were like, yes, okay, we can do this because. Um, really, 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 Pat Boone destroyed me. <laughs> not gonna lie, Pat Boone destroyed me, and it took three really good albums for me to get over it. <laughs> That's right. So, and you know, and the other things that we've done in between here and there, which have been really good, the, your picks. Yeah. So, um, Joe, before we get to your pick for the next one, um, I know I'm way behind on getting uh podcasts out there, it will happen this weekend. Uh, God willing. Um, what do you and Joe Brown have going on at the Showdown? Uh, we're going to be, hopefully this week, we've just been behind with work and everything. We'll get our uh, Spider-Man No Way Home up. Okay. Up, and yeah, it's me gaslighting Brown through the whole thing because Spider-Man's his favorite superhero. <laughs> 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 and I purposely get all the villains' names wrong. <laughs> I think because it's one shy of the sinister six, I'm like, and I'm pretending I don't know who I am. I'm like, I'm going to dub these the fearsome five. (laughs) (laughs) And he's, uh, he wasn't, we got a little bit into it before we added something came up, but yeah, he's just like, son of a bitch. (laughs) 
my God, that's genius. And it's not a short movie either, so. <laughs> no. No, it's not a short movie. You know, I would say I love Spider-Man, um, but uh, One More Day killed it for me, and I gave up on Spider-Man after the One More Day comic. Um, like, I absolutely despise that so much that it ruined Spider-Man for me. Yeah, I, you know, I never read that. Uh, I, like, I really like the two, the first two Raimi movies. The Raimi, first two Raimi movies were yeah. gold. Fantastic. Uh, I, I was telling Brown, like, Spider-Man 2 was probably my favorite superhero movie until The Dark Knight came out. Agreed. Mine too. Because I was I just like, uh, Alfred Molina is just fucking phenomenal. Like, he, he brought a... You know, people say, like, Heath Ledger and, like, with the Nolan stuff. Like, I think he brought some gravitas to the, the comic book villain. I think he was the prototype for it. Yeah, I think he was the prototype, too. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. 100%. And I think that's why I love that movie so much, because it was finally a believable villain. Yeah. yeah. That felt, like, three-dimensional and not, like, just a cartoon yeah. villain. Yeah, where you actually have conflicting emotions as you're watching it. Like, you, and sometimes you're even rooting for Doc Ock in that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's so. it, it's such a good, yeah, I, I love that movie. Um, I was really looking forward to Spider-Man 3. <laughs> <laughs> we reviewed that one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Then, you know, whatever. Course correction, and, you know, I really liked Homecoming. I didn't like that second one with Gyllenhaal in it. Like, I hated that. I sat and watched that, and I was just fucking angry. And then, like, No Way Home. Well, you guys can read the review, but, yeah. So, but, yeah, and after that, Brown, that son of a bitch, he picked Never Been Kissed, so. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. So, oh, no, God. Worry. He's getting his comeuppance. Yeah, good, good. That one, yeah, he deserves a comeuppance for that one. Fuck. Yeah. Um, I will say, though, knowing what I know now about Spider-Man 3, um, he wanted to do, Raimi wanted to do... Was it Mysterio? Wanted, was yeah, it Mysterio? He, yeah, they they blocked him because they want. It was a game, same with Schumacher. They wanted to start selling toys and shit. Yeah, and Raimi really wanted to do um, Mysterio, and he didn't like Venom. So I I feel yeah. like he purposely sabotaged number three. Um, in a way, I really do feel like he sabotaged number three. Well, they they forced it, and the, you know, he already had Sandman, which is whatever. Uh, who was the other? It was like there was three villains. In the- oh, oh yeah, Sandman, Croc, Green Goblin. Oh, Green two. Goblin. He had uh, you know what's his nut, and then uh, Franco. Franco. Yeah, Franco. yeah. And then you had Venom, and then God, I thought there was one more, wasn't there? Like it was just, I, I, it was such a bad movie. It was such a bad let's, movie. Let's, not, let's, let's stop right. talking about Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, Joe. What are we doing next time for the? Uh, for the rate that album. All right, Paul, pick A or B. I'm gonna go with the B side. That's good because A was the wheel of shit. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. So I decided we need to get back to hip hop, Paul. Okay. So we're gonna be doing the Black Album by Jay Z. Fuck yeah, we are. <laughs> Fuck yeah, we are. <laughs> Awesome. I'm excited for that. Yep, um, I am too. Yeah, I was nervous there. You're going to pick A. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. You lucked out, my man, because I was going to do the um, the 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 Jay-Z album that he put out after. after um, <laughs> With Linkin Park? 
No, no. Because did he put out an album after Beyonce put out Lemonade? Oh, God, yeah. That's what, was 444? Yeah. What was it? 2444. Yeah, 444. 444. Yes. Yeah, I was going to do 444, that's but. Good. That's not yeah. good. No, but instead we're going to do the black album, which I'm totally fine with. Yeah, I am too. I love, I love the black album. So it's, it's a great album. So fuck yeah, we're doing the black album. Okay, cool. Um, all right, Joe. Well, anything else? Any other topics or anything we didn't cover before we go here? No, I think we're good. Okay. Do you want to take us out? No. This has been Rate That Album with Paul Muadib and Joe Fremming. Thank you for listening.